this is the Fearless Fathers Podcast, a podcast for you, the fathers who suffer in silence every single day. Come with us as we hit those main topics that are just burning through your soul. It's going to get uncomfortable, it's going to be fun, and together we will become fearless. Hello again, our fearless family. Thank you for tuning in to a Thursday interview episode here on the Fearless Fathers Podcast. I'm Davo, as always, rocking the mic here, and I have a really, really cool guest with me today on the show. Today, I have Mr. Pat Davey. He hails from Wisconsin, the cheese capital of this great America. Pat co-hosts his podcast, Beast Mode Kids, with his daughter, Alora, and they started that about a year ago as a way to connect and build a bond and relationship between the both of them. A little bit about Beast Mode Kids, we're going to fit a lot into this in the show plus a lot more but it helps really bridge the gap between parents and their children uh, more so the teenagers you know dealing with life in high school bullying uh, you name it it's out there if you were a teen you've probably gone through it plus just opening up those forms of conversation uh, pat though interestingly enough he adopted Alora when she was six years old taking on that full role of being dad so he agreed to sit down with me, not Ryan. He's being his little cave-dwelling self in his little cave drinking gin and Cheetos, but you know we forgive him this time. And we're going to pick Pat's brain on what really makes him a fearless father when it comes to the adoption and just stepping into that role of being the dad for the first time. So Pat, brother, I want to welcome you to the show, man, and just tell our audience a little bit more about yourself if it's something I might have missed. Well, thank you very much for having me here. So, uh, like you said, I uh, born, raised in Wisconsin. All of the good things that go along with that. But I am a uh, my full time job. I'm a personal trainer uh, in town here. And uh, like I said, I have two kids. I have a Laura, I have a son, Bo, that I also do a podcast with. Um, been married for about eight years right now. I have a fantastic uh, community that I work with on a regular basis at my job and just in the local area here. And it's just a lot of fun being a part of uh, the whole podcast community and uh, and really being able to you know give my point of view. And I think like you, Davo, is that you know we want to give dads the best opportunities they can and give them as much knowledge as they can yeah that that's exactly right man i mean you know it's awesome that you're a personal trainer all that as well too but yeah i mean just even when we started this podcast probably about seven months ago now j just the wealth of knowledge that you could try and give somebody out there I mean, you know as being a personal trainer like everybody's an expert in something whether you're a step ahead or five steps ahead somebody's gonna go out there and hopefully get that knowledge from you and just that just being in the podcast community alone and just speaking with other podcasters and where they're going out there and trying to just get that extra little bit just to try and make more of a difference in somebody's life is really, really incredible and rewarding. You know, it's just the small things. I mean, I can think of like there's the, you know, if you think of clients, people that you deal with on a regular basis, uh, there's this one woman that was by far my favorite client ever. It was a 60, I think she was 62 when I started working with her. She had a grandchild that was three years old and she had to, she couldn't get to the ground. She had a major surgery. She couldn't get to the ground. She couldn't stand back up. And she babysat her three-year-old son all, or a grandson all the time. So it was my job to be able to, you know, kind of get her back to health. So she was able to get down to the ground and get back up. And that was about a year and a half work with her, like watching her get stronger and better and move at, at a pace where she could actually handle and run after a three-year-old was amazing. And that changed her life. That is, oh my God, I got goosebumps just hearing that, man. That's, that's absolutely amazing. And that's absolutely one of the, probably one of the most rewarding and probably best stories that I've heard in a very, very long time. So awesome for you, man. Keep killing it out there. Keep putting in your reps, guys. And I just out of these first four minutes, I know this is going to be a great conversation. So get your notes ready, guys. There's going to be a ton of great stuff coming from Pat today. But as always, as we like to kick off the show, Fearless Father style. Nobody has gotten away from this question yet, and Pat, you sure as hell aren't my sir. Tell us, starting off for our audience, what is one of the best or funniest or most memorable things one of either Alora, Bo, or both of them did? Oh, I got a story for both. I got both of them for you here. So most recently, a little quick backstory, there's a lot of sarcasm 
through our house. It is thick and it is real constantly. And I would say probably close to a month ago, my wife was in the kitchen and she was trying to open like a can of green beans or something like that. And she was just, she struggled a couple of times. It kept on the, the can opener kept falling off or whatever. And my son was just kind of randomly walking by and my son's six here, walked by, looked at his mom and says, need to get better mom. And just kept on walking deadpan. I just started <laughs> laughing so hard that she had just the eye beams at him. Like, how dare you say those words to me? And so, I mean, it was just great because I thought it was hilarious. And then eventually she thought it was hilarious. But then she looks at me going like, you need to stop talking like that because this is the way our kids are going to be. I'm like, yeah, we want our kids to be like this. This is about purpose here. It's fine. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. And so, yeah, oh, they're getting, the wit is amazing. So with Alora, she was probably about, I want to say Bo's age, six or seven years old. And something I used to say to her a lot was, like, she'd complain that she'd put on her jacket or put on her shoes. She'd be like, ah, stupid jacket, I can't do it. Or dumb shoes, I can't tie them. And I'm like, hey, it's not the shoes, it's the operator. She used to say those things to her all the time until she started figuring out what that actually meant. Like, it's not the shoes, it's you. You're the one that's the problem. And so one day... My uh, my mother-in-law, father-in-law came over to the house. They had Laura for the weekend or something like that. And they come running in. And Laura's like, hey, everybody. And she runs off to her room. And, and my mother-in-law looks at us and she's like, I almost smacked your daughter this weekend because I was in, you know, doing some cutting. She does a lot of fabric work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where all of a sudden her scissors just weren't working. She said something along the lines of like, oh, geez, these stupid scissors. And Laura looked at her gram and was just like, gram. It's not the scissors. It's the operator. And they fumed at her. And she was angry telling us this story. And I was pissing myself laughing so hard until she figured out like, oh, it was you. You're the one that made her say that. And we're like, yes, I did. And it was awesome. Yes. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Being born and bred, you have to be born and bred in sarcasm because that's just what's going to grow you. I did it for 30 years and I, I don't see anything wrong with me. And obviously that that's, those are the memories right there, man. I love it. Those will stick with me forever. Those are the best moments. Those are the absolute best moments. And my son just being two now, he's obviously he doesn't understand sarcasm, but he has my personality, which really scares the living hell out of me. And he'll just run up. He, he just ran up the other day at me and just decided that he was just going to go full force headbutt me. And that as I'm sitting there in pain, he's just sitting there laughing. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right, we're going to play that game. Gotcha. That's gotcha. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was like, all right. All right. You need to watch right. out for him. I always keep the eyes in the back of your head open. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Love it. So, guys, be ready because we, we got some more great stuff coming through today from Pat. So, Pat, as we're kicking this off again here, can you take us through a little bit on your thoughts on when you knew that your wife had Alora when you first met? So, I've known my wife since we were 16 years old. Okay. And so, like, there was a time when we actually spent some time together between 16 and, like, 21, you know, more like friends and stuff like that. And life just kind of took us separate directions. And through that time, I had my first marriage. Uh, She had a child. And then all of a sudden, like, I got a divorce and she started, like, the Alora's biological dad, like, separating from him. And right around that time, it was literally less than a month apart when these things were starting to happen. And con- she contacted me. You know, she was just kind of like, you know, just a random reach out, just kind of like, hey, I wonder what he's doing. And when she told me, like, she was a mom and, you know, had a daughter, I honestly didn't even think twice about it. It was one of those things that was just kind of like, I like this this person. I've always liked her and, and her having a child doesn't bother me at all. Like I was very, you know, I was very happy for her that she found a place and she was very, very happy and talked very, very uh, proudly about her daughter. So yeah, I was I was very happy for her. And again, I, like I said, I, I had no issues with it at all for our relationship. Wow, that's 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 an incredible story. I mean. You know, just knowing each other through high school and kind of growing up together a little bit and then going your separate ways. Now, I'm assuming that you always had that kind of like schoolboy crush on her from, from what it sounds like here. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> and you know what? It might have been one of those things that it was both ways, but just didn't really yep. go too far beyond that. So, 
Yeah, but it, that, that's absolutely crazy that like, and, and I think I've always said this on the show as well, like the universe always finds that way of putting you exactly where you need to be at that one time. And just the fact that you said like, yeah, I knew her for so long when she told me that she had a daughter. I, I thought that that was absolutely amazing. There was none of that, you know, like how you see in the movies and the TV shows, like the the scared but kind of awkward moment when you first meet. N- nothing like that, I'm assuming, went on. It was pretty. I'm pretty receptive, pretty open. Very open. I'm. I'm not gonna lie to you. That uh, that little girl when I met her, she was two and a half. She fed me so much plastic fruit. <laughs> I I couldn't even look at it anymore. It was. She was just as friendly as could be, and I'm just like, oh, I like you so much right now. Like, oh, that's fantastic. Like, so she was just a very open, and you know, Laura was just great right from the beginning. So it was a very easy transition um, to uh, start uh, start to just the the dating process for my wife that's that's absolutely amazing so just everything just kind of meshing together just kind of everything just solidifying in place and it just really shows that when you take that moment and you really really have those weird almost you you can't believe that it's happening coincidental moments too coincidental to be a coincidence moments that everything just kind of feels right and almost too surreal and when you take those steps i mean obviously you know now it's been what probably 10 years plus that you've been with her and she's now your, you know, daughter, that, actual daughter. Absolutely. That she is. I mean, that is, that's where, I mean, I, I do, I think I reflect back a lot on just kind of where we started and where we are now. And it's, it, I, if the longer I think about it, the bigger, the smile gets on my face. Cause I think of all the ups and downs that you go along with that and the processes and everything that we had to do to get through the adoption and all. And it just was, and who she is today, it makes me very proud that's amazing and you know just taking that moment to self-reflect and like you said the the smile just keeps growing yeah there's ebbs and flows in life but those goods are going to outweigh the bads at the end of the day and just really stepping into that role through the adoption process and really becoming that father figure in the house you know really shows steps and bounds on what you do as that child grows and continues to grow and it really grows you at the end of the day as well so with that being said, would you say that your wife was really receptive to you kind of being that father figure or did you kind of feel like you were stepping on toes before you even adopted Alora? She was all right for me going into that immediately. Um, there was definitely some time she did not like um, my parenting style for a while. And, and rightfully so, like I was so raw at it, like I really didn't know what I was doing. You sure. know? And so she kind of helped guide me through some ways like, hey, instead of like, acting in this way or getting angry in this way or treating her in this way. Maybe you should try this one. Maybe she'll respond better to you and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay. So like I'm, I'm, I was, I was very open to having those conversations to make her be a little bit more comfortable with me. Like if I have to discipline Laura, then I'm doing it in a way that we both agree on. And I think that's a massive key right there. What you just said, Pat, I think is probably one of the biggest things that people tend to miss, right? I come from, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I come from step parents on both sides of my family. If there's no communication between the biological parent and that new parent coming into the household, then you're going to see massive rifts in between the household. And that's just going to cause nothing but fights and nothing but negativity and nothing but complete utter, which could end up in breakdown. And I think you said it best, you know, you weren't the, you know, the smartest man in the room. You were, you were parenting. She was receptive, but damn it. If she wasn't going to be mama bear when she didn't like something that you said or did, but by able to say, Hey, why don't you try this this way? You know? Yeah. You may, it may not be in your flow, but if we kind of work this together, it could be more of a conducive lifestyle for everybody in the household. You know, when it comes down to having those conversations, I think that was one of the starting things for us of just like, like you said, communication is huge. If you don't have that, everything's going to break down. And to this day, there's times where all of a sudden it'll be in front of the kids. One of us does something like Aaron and I aren't screaming and yelling at each other. We're not those kind of people. We just don't believe mm-hmm. in that. Like if we have an issue, like we'll finish up what we're doing there and we're, we're going to go in the other room and have a conversation to figure this out ourselves and stuff. And just because I just, I, we don't believe the kids need to see that. You know, and, but for us to be able to actually have those conversations and trust each other enough that, hey, you might, I might hurt your feelings or you might hurt my feelings, but guess what? On the other side of that conversation, we're both going to be better parents. 
And that's the massive takeaway here, guys, especially you dads out there that are stepping into either that stepdad role or going through that adoption process. I I think I've said it for probably 60 plus episodes now, and I'm going to continue to say it for another 600 episodes. Communication is going to be key no matter what you do. Don't act like you're going to be the smartest man in the room because I promise you, you're probably not, especially if you're with your wife, because my wife likes to reality check me a lot of the time. But just understand that communication. Don't be yelling in front of the kids. If you think that your kids are not there listening, I promise you, I guarantee it, they are. And by going out there and just communicating and just by understanding where both sides are coming from and coming to that compromise, right? Both sides of a story, you're going to find the truth somewhere in that middle. You're going to find the compromise and you're going to find the growth in there too. So Pat said it, communication is key. Keep communicating, keep building, and keep growing, and it's going to be better for all of you. And if you don't think your kids aren't listening to you, let them be in the living room. You go in the kitchen or close to you, just say the word ice cream and listen, watch them come running. 100%. They will hear all of the words, especially if it means something towards them, for sure. 100% of the time, every time. (laughs) Absolutely. So you brought up, you know, going through the pains and everything there when you were going through that adoption process. Can Can you kind of take us into that, like how that adoption process really went towards you as far as like the mental and physical stresses that you might've been going through with that? I think more of the, the, the mental stresses was like knowing that we had to have, Laura needed her own lawyer. Like, so she had her own lawyer. Um, I had my own lawyer and they needed to talk to each other to make sure everything was good. You know, we had someone that from the, I can't remember who they are, let's say from the, the county or something like that had to come over and like look at our home and do a huge background check on me. And like, not that I had a bad thing, but it's like, that's all stressful stuff. When someone comes sure. to your home and looks around at all this stuff and opens up, you know, cabinets and all that kind of stuff, making sure that you have a safe home, even though she's with her mother, but it's just making sure that the home itself is safe. But then doing, doing background checks, I had to give them two of my friends names for them to call and get, they had our conversations with my friends and I like, they called me after they had that conversation. Like, listen, that was deep. Like they asked a lot of questions about you. I'm like, well, hopefully you weren't an asshole to me. So like, I appreciate that. Right. So, but this is where like those stressors were huge. You know, then we, once everything got going from there and then we had like court and you know, court is court. It doesn't matter if you're doing something wrong or not. You just sit in there. It's an intimidating place. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we were fortunately on the good side of it and the judge kept telling us like, Hey, listen, this is going to take longer than we want it to do, but we want to make sure all the T's are crossed. The I's are dotted. Nothing's wrong because long story short, it was best for Laura, what we were doing because of who her dad was and just the, the path that he was taking, he was not a healthy place for her to be. And, and it was one of those things that the courts wanted to make sure that they did everything right to make sure that everything went exactly the way it is. So they asked a lot of questions. I had, had to sit on the stand a few times and answer some questions. And again, wrong, doing something wrong or not, answering questions on the stand is, is nerve wracking, sweating. But all in all, oh. it's worth it for sure. Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, I've never gone through it, but you're absolutely right. That kind of stuff is intimidating. Like, like I even, as you're saying that, I'm thinking like the analogy, like you're driving down the highway and you just see a state trooper behind you and you immediately just start like sweating and like, oh, man, I'm going like half a mile over the speed limit. They're going to they're going to nap. Me. It's, oh, it's yeah. stuff like that. That's exactly what that is. That's that's <laughs> I mean, you're just your butt clenches and everything's going like yeah. the final, final day when everything we, we know that I was going to adopt her. I was going to fill some paperwork and she was going to be ours. Like I was sitting in the stands and I was going to ask questions and <laughs> the, the judge stopped the questions. He said, hey, Pat, look at me. He said, just look at me. He's like, take a deep breath. You're doing good today. Everything's going to be okay. Just calm down. You can tell you're nervous. And so you just kind of like, let me know, like, hey, everything's going to be just fine. You did everything right. And so walking out of there was, uh, was an amazing day at the end of uh, the, that whole journey. That's amazing. That, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, just, yeah, you go, you go through the mental stresses. You know you have a safe home. You know what you're doing is right. It's uncomfortable. It makes your skin crawl, but you know at the end of the day coming through that, you're doing exactly what you need to do to be better for not not just for yourself, but for that for that girl, for that child, just knowing the situations and just being able to say, I did something 
that one, I'm never going to forget. I'm never going to regret doing it. But two, it's going to make me a lot stronger in the long run. And it's going to be a more conducive family for everybody, for everybody in the long run. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know many people that have gone through that process. I've heard, you know, a lot of the stressors and a lot of the stuff that you've talked about before. I, I've heard some of that stuff before, man. And, and I got to give it to you because it, it is, you know, being, you know, having your own child, it, it, it's, it comes with its own stressors outside of, you know, your wife being pregnant and, you know, having your own child and just going through that becomes a completely different ball game. And that was, that was one of the hard things because there was a lot of things. I mean, in my eyes, there was a lot of that, that I missed where all of a sudden I'm just jumping in and now I have everything that I get to look forward to. And, but it was one of those where now I have to, all of a sudden that time comes, it was, it was probably almost a month later, but all of a sudden they realized like, Oh crap. Like it is all on me now. Mm-hmm. Not all on yeah, the- me, put it this way, but like what was given to me on that day, because I think that one of the biggest things that the judge asked Aaron and she asked, and he asked her three times in a row, says, do you realize you're giving away 50% of your daughter? Cause she had 100% rights, 100% rights to her at the beginning of it. And he asked her that three times and she said yes, three times to that. And so like you go back to like her when she, you know, does, does my wife feel like I'm a good father figure of what she wants? Like her saying yes to that was absolutely her believing in me and that I was going to be a good father for her daughter. And that's, and that's something that, you know, we talk about living in the future. We talk about living in the past, but we always talk about not living in the now. And that's something that right there in the now, knowing that it's going to be a better future for now your daughter and where her past was, knowing in that moment three times equals yes, says a lot when you're going through that and the nerves are building. And then, like you said, that honeymoon phase ended and you're like, oh, shit. This is on me now. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly it. (laughs) And when you're going through that, I mean, even before the adoption process and even after that adoption process, what would you say was your mindset when you stepped into that fathering role pre-adoption and then post-adoption? I think pre-adoption was more like I want to be the best step-parent because I went into that whole thing expecting to be a step-parent. That that was hmm. the objective. I was gonna, and I think I'm gonna say like right before the adoption, it was just like I just need to be a good dad, and and be there for her when when I need to be. And it was the simplest of forms. And post and as time has gone on, like I don't, I want to make sure that I am everything to this little girl. I want to make sure that she wants to call me. She wants to talk to me. She wants to me to be there when she's in trouble. I'm the person that she's contacting. Like this is where like. I want her, I want, I want to be her go-to person. And so having those feelings on there, like I want to make sure that she knows that I'm here to protect her in every fashion. And I hope she takes advantage of that as much as she possibly can. Wow. Wow. That, that is some, that, that is some powerful stuff. We're talking about a guy here, guys, if you're listening to this, I, you know, I just took a bunch of notes off of that, but we're talking about a guy who has a daughter, not biologically his, but is his, who first stepped into that just being the step-parent role. You know, those step-parents out there or, you know, you dads out there that are in that role right now, you know, if, if you say those words, I love you like one of my own kids, if you were my own kid, live up to it, man. Live up to it because that, that's going to pay huge, 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 huge dividends for that child Live up to it because your actions are going to speak louder than your words every day of the week. Pat said it exactly. Growing up, letting her know that I'm there 100% of the time, every single time. We may not be blood, but we're blood in our own way. And you are my own child. You are 50% of me. Whether you like it or not, you're 50% of me. And just by going out there and just by doing it and just by putting in those small steps those small incremental steps and not full forcing into the dad position right away is going to show a lot more. And it's going to show a lot more growth for you in the long run. And I'm, you know, just from this conversation, that, that sounds exactly like what you were going through, Pat. It is. That's exactly what that was. You know, it's one of those where you, you, you have to be able to be in the moment all the time because you never know what they're going to want or what they're going to do, what you're going to say. And you know, you're going to slip up. 
as a parent, it's like, you know, guess what? You're going <laughs> to, you're going to have bad days. You're going to fail. But guess what? You signed up for that when you decided to have a child. That's it. But that's where if you can't fail, learn from it, get better, then you're not moving forward. I love that you said the word fail. We're going to get to that in a second. We're going to get to that word in a very, very few seconds here. <laughs> Perfect. But but I, wa- I wanted to ask you this because I'm very curious, again, coming from you know a parent or child of divorce, excuse me, and having multiple step parents and seeing the co-parenting role play hands on both sides of the fence for me growing up. Would you say that there was any co-parenting between you and the biological father? And how, and how did you really handle that if there was? You know, it was so minimal that I'm going to say that there really wasn't. And I say that because mm-hmm. when Aaron and I started dating, I was living about two hours north of where I live right now. This is where Aaron, uh, this is where Aaron was living. When I finally moved, like I moved down here to be with Aaron and Laura. And I was traveling back and forth there, and there was only a couple times that I actually ever saw him because, you know, there might have been a time right at the beginning where Laura went and stayed with him for the weekend while I was up with Aaron or something like that. But it was, there was only one time ever that I saw him. He came into the house and got a Laura, and all he said to me, he looked at me, he said, Sup? I said so. And then all of a sudden they leave it over. Aaron decides to come back in. He's like, you realize that when he says stuff, it's more or less like, fuck you, right? And I'm like, yeah, mm. I got the gist of the whole, you know, little inter- interaction right there. Yeah. But I think that was the it. That, that was really it. And so after that, like, it just didn't, he fell off. He kind of disappeared, wasn't around a lot. And so fortunately, all in all, we really didn't have that issue of that co, the co-parenting at all. Wow. So it was really just more so the along the lines, like I'm not really stepping on anybody's toes here because there's really nobody to step on anybody's toes because they're not truly in the picture. Do you feel like that played more of a like fight in your own mind as far as doing the right thing for Laura? No, I think that made things easier. I think really? that made things so much easier just because she wasn't battling me constantly. Like, well, my daddy says I can do this or I can do this or whatever that is. Like I never got that from her ever you know it always coming back to her mom because she is mom she's definitely a mama's girl still to this day which is great fantastic but at that point in time she never even Laura never really talked about her dad wow wow and I, I mean yeah obviously you know just from being so young and from when you actually adopted her I mean there's what maybe a four-year span and really I mean if you're not in the picture that much you know I know I don't remember a lot from when I was like five or six I remember some great memories but you know, that just shows the level of love and respect that, that, that that's within that house and that there are people out there that truly want me and truly play into that mindset of everything's going to be okay. Even though there may be thoughts in the back of the mind years down the road where she's like, well, why wasn't my dad there? Or whatever the case could be, it happens with children. I've seen it through friends. I've seen it in my own experiences. But it's just knowing at the end of the day that there's two people there that truly love me, a brother who annoys the living hell out of me, but we all get together. We all love each other and we all continue to grow foster and have just a great time at the end of the day. There might be a day where all of a sudden she wants to, you know, meet her biological father and, you know, we'll cross that path when we get there. But until that time, you know, I'm, you know, she just kind of does what she does and we're all right with it. And when, when that time comes, we'll have that conversation. And if we have the opportunity, if we know where that person is, then maybe we'll find them. And that's exactly it. You know, I've, I've seen it myself, not, not to digress too much here before we move on to the next one, but I've seen it myself where I, I saw friends, parents try and force, try and force the biological father who was out of the life into the kid's life. And it does nothing. It, it does nothing for them, but bring up maybe repressed memories, depending on how old they were, or whatever the case is. And I mean, you, you said it right, man. So anybody listening to that today, wait until they're ready. They're going to know when they're ready to do that. It's a massive step. It's an uncomfortable step. We all grow and we all learn in our own way at our own time. And we have to remember that these, you know, children, teens, whoever are people at the end of the day with their own feelings, with their own emotions. You know, you could sit there and you could badmouth the other parent because they're a horrible person, or you could kind of just let it go and just let them figure out on their own path, but still be there to kind of help put them back when need when it needs to be. So guys, I really hope you're taking notes here. Pat is dropping a ton of value. 
we're only about halfway done with this right now. I want you to be aware of that. And we've dropped so much amazing value out of this. And we're going to go up to one little four word, one little four letter word that Pat said before. No, it's not my favorite word that I use as a comma every other sentence. <laughs> it's the word fail. It's the word fail. And we, I talk about this all the time. And I talk about the fact that I love to fail. And in Beast Mode, kids, and we're going to talk about your podcast a little bit more later on. But to preface this question, as I was listening to the episodes and kind of understanding who who Pat and Alora are, in one of the episodes, I think it was like one of your first ones, you talk about how you hate when someone says that their biggest fear in life is failure. Absolutely. How did how did you personally break out of that failure is fear mindset? I think it came down to is that it was the real realization of how much that fear actually had control of me. Because there was a long time where all of a sudden, like, I was being successful at something like that. And I was getting maybe like where I, I could have done something really good, but I got nervous about me getting up there and, and being in the spotlight and then failing. So I would like almost sabotage myself. And I could think back to like two or three different times that I did that. And at the time, I was just kind of blew it off or whatever like this. And I can think about it. I mean, I think about it now and I kind of kick myself just because I'm just going to like, hey, you pussy, like, why did, why did you do that? For what reason did that come into play for yourself? And so I think what it came down to is like I had to dive into something that made me very fearful. And that was more like communication with other people. Like I was, I was used to be a, a huge introvert, didn't like talking, shut down a lot other than like a close friends and family I was fine with. And I, uh, I went to barber school. So I dove into that and it wasn't barber school. It was technically it was cosmetology school, 22 people in the class, 21 women and me. It was one of, it was the most uncomfortable 12 months of my life. And it was one of those things that I had to learn because I'm around all of these women. I had to learn how to talk to them. And then all of a sudden you have somebody sitting in your chair you know, once you start learning how to do haircuts and colors and all that kind of stuff for an hour and a half, and you got to figure out how to talk to these people. So I literally dove into one of my biggest fears of just trying how to have a conversation with somebody. And I was a barber, you know, I did went through that and I was a barber for 10 years and I absolutely loved the job, but it was one of those things that I learned so much about how to get uncomfortable and how to work myself through that. That made me really appreciate that and all of a sudden almost look for fear and look for those things that I, that make me anxious and nervous and everything like that and start attacking those at the same time now. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that story. Absolutely love that story. And I, I wanted to hit on a couple of things that you said there because, I, I mean, you've, you've said it before. You, you just said it and we've said it before here. You... You had fear took control of you, and that's not it's common in everybody. I, I think every single one of us has some kind of fear that controls who we are and what we do. And it's to no fault of our own. It, it, it's our it's our damn DNA that does it. It's our negativity bias. You know, I'm not the smartest man when it comes to psychology by any means, but I know that the way that we're set is be negative, be safe. Kind of just keep in your fear zone and everything will be okay in your nice little bubble. What's your brain but, go to? Your brain just all of a sudden says like, hey, this is your safe space right over here. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything else. It's good. That That's exactly it. And, you know, it's funny that you said that. And I'm just going to go on a little tangent here. If anybody listened to the show, they know I'm a big fan of Dean Graziosi, amazing entrepreneur, great motivational speaker, great guy. And he did a training today where he talked about his momentum, mindset, and mastery, you know, formula, and just to kind of springboard your way into 2021. And, and it's funny that you said that because th that's kind of the same stuff that we talked about today, right? He talked about, you know, being in your safe space, not, not being uncomfortable, but once you're uncomfortable and you break away that that skin crawling feeling is you getting stronger because it's something new. It's something that gets you out of that safe space. But you're going to grow a new safe space around that uncomfortability, but you're going to be stronger because of it. So it, it's really it's really ironic that you brought that up today. And, and I just kind of wanted to share that quick little tidbit because I'm right there in the same vein when it comes to something like that. But one thing that you did say that I kind of I, I kind of took and it made me think was you talked about being an introvert and being really introverted. 
Now, to a lot of people, including myself, I always considered introversion a weakness to extroversion, you know, being an extrovert. And a lot of people will tell you, oh, you got to work on your weaknesses. You got to work on your weaknesses. No, screw that. You got to work on your strengths. You got to double down on your strengths. But I don't see you being an introvert as a weakness. I see it as being a fear. It wasn't a weakness. It wasn't that, you know, you were weak at talking to people. It's just you didn't like fucking talking to people. I don't like talking to people half the time. And I podcast for a living. But I think that, you know, I think you nailed that on the head. I think that that that's one of those things where, yeah, that fear was definitely there. Like, because I just didn't know how to hold a conversation. I didn't know how to um, really communicate with people well. And so that's where I think that, that, that fear, but that's where like that fear slashing the failure comes in. Where if all of a sudden I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody and it's not going well, that's where I think that I feel like that I failed that conversation. Now I'm going to embarrass myself in front of that mm-hmm. person. But I mean, I still think there's, you have your introverts, you have your extroverts, but then you have your ambervert that kind of sits in the middle. Right. And that, that amber. Yeah. Have you heard that term before? Actually, I heard that on your show. You were talking. I remember that in one episode, actually, now, right. now that you mentioned it. I remember that. Yeah. So I, I consider myself more of an ambervert now. I'm definitely not an extrovert by any means. But if I'm, you give me a room full of a thousand people and have me stand in front and give a talk, I 100% could do that because I have the power. I'm in control of the situation of what I'm doing. You know, I do group classes sometimes up to 30 people and stuff on a regular basis. I have a bunch of people running around with barbells and running in and out of rooms and I'm at full control of all of this stuff. And I can handle all that kind of stuff. Now put me in a room with 30 people I don't know and I got to do a bunch shaking hands and talking to people all the time. I'm sweating just thinking about doing that. Like I don't want to do that at all. So it's it's one of those things like having control of the situation is very easy for me and I'm very happy with that. And then ha- not having control, I struggle with. Not to say that I don't do it, but I definitely do struggle with it. So that ambiverse just kind of hovers in the middle of there where they can do it depending on where their control lies. I like that am- I like that ambervert word. I've always said I'm the most extroverted introvert ever or the most <laughs> introverted extrovert ever, but that that's a lot better saying in a lot less words, so I'm going to take that. You do it. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, trademark registered already done, Pat. Screw it. Too bad. I took it fine. <laughs> but take that, guys, right? What what did Pat do? He just to finish this up before we get to the next one. What did he do? He went to he went to cosmetology school. 21 women, one guy. If you're going to learn how to talk, you might as well do it around a bunch, you know, not not to do the stereotype. And I'm only saying this for fun, but you might as well do it around 21 other women because you're going to learn to talk really quickly. And that's what Pat did. That's what grew. He he turned a fear into a strength and now excelled at it because of doing that. So take that thought process, right? Take that sweaty feeling, the cops behind you, but you know you're you know you're obeying the law, but everything just kind of hurts and it's kind of numb. Just take that and just roll with it, and you're going to be a lot better off at the end of the day when you take those small micromanagerial steps in yourself. As we're moving on, I know you love the word failure, so I'm going to add this in this question for you. What do you attribute to being your biggest failure as a father, and what did you really do to overcome that? One of the biggest failures that I felt that I did is that we had a big issue with Bo when we were teaching him how to go to the bathroom, and especially pooping. So I felt like the biggest fear, like we just couldn't do it. He kept on pooping his pants. He kept on, you know, hiding from us and, and, and having issues with this and lying to us about it. Like you'd see him hovering in the corner, legs crossed, red face. You got to poop. No, I don't at all. Grab him <laughs> you go. And you're just a big mess. I mean, for way too long. And it's one of those things when your ego gets in the way, like you don't want help. Like I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. Well, eventually there was one day where, you know, everything just broke down. And I, myself and my wife contacted a friend of ours who is owns a company called behavior best. That is that teaches people how to navigate your child there. You know, they're child counselors or she's a child counselor and kind of how to get children to, she trains, literally trains children, how to, how to uh, go to the bathroom behavior wise. Um, how to you know communicate with other kids? How to how to communicate with parents? And so we contacted her, and we bought some sessions with one of her uh, with one of her employees, and had like these Zoom meetings with her about learning how to 
controlled the parents. It literally wasn't about controlling Bo. It was learning what words to use for him that make the world easier for him to understand. So then he would be able to, to, uh, to go to the bathroom. And it was, this, it was a lot of the, one word was transitions. Let's put it that way. How to do a transition. Cause he didn't want to go to the bathroom. We learned because he was too much, he was having too much fun doing what he was already doing. He didn't want to stop because he thought that if he went to the bathroom, that fun would go away. And so hmm. it's kind of, it sounds so simple, but at the same time, we didn't dawn on it. And so we worked on how to transition him from there, making sure he understands like, hey, when we're done with this, we get to go back to this activity. And we slowly went through this process. And all of a sudden, you kind of start seeing everything kind of happening in that positive way. And then you think back, you're like, I waited way too long to do all of this, all the stress, all of the, you know, the anger that went through that. Like, why can't you just go to the bathroom? Like, the toilet's right there. You'd stand next to the toilet and not poop. You know, that, I think that was one of those things where I felt like I was a failure. But at the same time, I can look back at it now and realize like, hey, guess what? Even fathers, mothers, whoever that is, we all need help. We need to reach out to people, professionals from time to time to get us through those hard times. That's exactly it. I mean, something that's so trivial to us as adults, as dads, is pooping. I, I I love it. It's my pride. You know, it's like where I get away and I look at memes for 45 minutes. But to a kid, they don't understand that concept. You know, and, and, I, and I feel myself as a parent, I feel like we forget that kids, you know, especially when they're learning something new like that, they don't understand, they obviously don't understand why we're doing things like this and that it's not going to take away from what they're currently doing in their world. And I feel, and I've said this before, that we forget to put ourselves in their shoes at times. And like you said, why won't you just go to the bathroom? It's right there and you're just standing right there, but you're red faced. Like, I, I don't understand. You know, you, right. you, you did something that not a lot of people would think about doing talking to a childhood poop coach essentially essentially yeah, really that's what it is yeah that, that that's exactly what it is you you cut a check to go faster instead of dealing with you know the headaches and the stress and the anxiety and the you know th those mental games those imposters that we play in our heads of well i'm a failure as a dad because i can't even teach my own son to go poop on the toilet properly He's just sitting there. He's always going to do this. I don't know what's going on. You know, people are going to make fun of him. Instead, you had to take a step back, realize, reach out to a friend, get a professional, cut a check to go faster. And it saved so much time, so much headache. And you learned new tools as a parent, understanding more of your child than you would have had you just gone through the same routines and probably the same trainings that your parents did when you were coming up. Those tools, you know, lined up with a lot of other things that we did too. So that definitely, it did not only help the pooping, it helped again with going to dinner, getting the shoes on to go to the car, you know, how to behave inside of a, in the grocery store, you know, understanding all these little things Like you learn these little tricks and it was just, it was so eye opening and it was just a breath or a breath of fresh air to be able to, to understand that concept. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, you know, a lot of people will be like, wow, I'm not going to hire a, a, a certified poop coach to teach my child. That, that's stupid. That's going to take away from from the, you know, from from learning and from being a parent. And like, no, I believe self-education is the key in today's, especially in today's world. There's nothing that Dr. Google can't teach you that you can't find out yourself. And by going out there and by learning from an expert, by going out there and just paying that maybe a little extra, you're going to have more tools in your proverbial tool belt to help you on this journey had you just sat there and just you know said, no, screw it, or made some kind of excuse not to do something. So I absolutely love that, man. I absolutely love it. So as we're going through all this as well, too, you know, we talked about the adoption process. We talked about, you know, your your biological child, Bo, we talked about Alora and, you know, your mindset going through all of that from being step parent to being actual parent now to no co-parenting being in there. What if you were in a room with somebody who is with somebody else and they have a child from a prior relationship, what is one thing or one or two things that you would tell them if you were just in a room together? You know, I had, I had to think about this and 
I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you some hard truth with this. You know, this was hard for me to actually be honest with about for myself. And it's that you will never love that child like you love your own child. Now, I'm gonna let you sit, let that sink in because I chose my words very carefully in that statement. All right. So I had that, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who has three children, and I was telling him about my thoughts and feelings on this and 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 how I just, I just did not, I felt bad. Like I just didn't understand like why, you know, I love them both equally, but I love them differently. And he looked me in the eyes and said, you're a fucking idiot. And I was like, why did you say that? He's like, well, because you're not going to love all of your children the same. You might love them, but you're going to love them all for different reasons. And you have to be able to find those reasons of why you love them. When they're super young, yeah, sure, they're love and cute and hugs and kisses and all the things that go along with that. But once they start seeing the personalities and why, whatnot, you're going you're gonna to start finding different things that you enjoy about them. So understand that you might love all of your children, but all of them are going to be different. And once he said those words to me, I, it opened my eyes of just kind of like, I absolutely do love Laura with everything that I do. I just know that I love her for who she is because she's not Bo. Bo's not a Laura. And I had to just kind of like find that separation in there. And again, it was just having that open conversation with a friend of mine who is, you know, you know, they're a good friend when they're willing to knock you down and just be true and honest to you. And so it was just having that conversation and it definitely made me have a open, again, open my eyes better and appreciate the, uh, the, the love that I did have for each of my children separately. That is some of the best advice that those, those true friends who really have your best interests won't be afraid to knock you down to help build you up. And that is such an uncomfortable conversation to have with anybody including a friend and to just go out there and I'll be honest with you, you know, when you said that, that opened my eyes. Cause I never even, I never even thought about something like that. You know, loving your kids in different ways. You know, I love my son to death and I'm going to love him till the day I die. But if there was another child in there, are you going to love that child the same way that you love your son and vice versa? No, you're not. Cause everybody's different everybody's unique and you have to find those personalities or those reasons why you love them for who they are and not who you want them to be and i think i think but i i also know that that is one of the biggest things that i feel dads face every day is do i love my kids enough do i love them for the right reasons Am I going to love them even if they don't want to play sports or be an artist or whatever, insert own here. But I I think that is some massive advice, advice that I'm definitely going to take with me, but, and I hope you take it too, because that is something very, very eye open. So I, I really thank you. Thank you for sharing that, man. Thank you. We have Pat Davy on the line. We talked about it. He's from the cheese capital, Wisconsin up there, don't you know? The Midwest, the good old Midwest, personal trainer, father of two. We talked about it in the beginning, how he started his podcast with his daughter, Alora, that they've been hosting now for about a year, a little over a year, Beast Mode Kids Podcast. So, Pat, can you take us through a bit as to why you started Beast Mode Kids Podcast, and where did you come up with the name for that? So I started Beast Mode Kids with Alora because she was starting to separate from mom and dad. She was starting to give us the, yeah, mm-hmm, okays, whatevers, you know, not really expressing herself the way that I would like you to. I mean, like any prototypical, you know, preteen, all that other kind of stuff. And I was just racking my brain of like how I could find a way to help her express herself in a way that she would enjoy it. And she's, she's more of the theater kid and all that other kind of stuff. And she loves that life and stuff. And I'm all for it. And her being able to have a platform for her to be able to express herself. I, we just started having a conversation of one day. I'm just like, would you ever think about doing a podcast? And I think, and she was really, she immediately knee jerk reaction. She loved it. But then I was like, here's the rules. 
like, listen, this is not just us like talking about fun things all the time. Like our purpose here is be able to give other kids, other parents, opportunities, thoughts, ideas to talk to their own children, which means you and I have to have some pretty tough conversations with their. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, all right. And I let that go. And over the next six months, we started having hard conversations. And then, you know, to the point of just kind of like, it was everything from, again, sexuality, from bullying to, you know, friends being angry at you, you being angry with friends, you know, seeing fights, you know, being in fights, all of these things and stuff. And all of a sudden, like, once she realized, like, these are things that I'd be comfortable talking with on a podcast, she was like, I'm ready to go. Now, all topics that we've discussed definitely have not been talked about on our Beast Mode Kids. There's a lot of ones on, that are sitting on the shelf because she's not comfortable with it yet. Okay, I'm ready whenever she is. And we poke at them every once in a while, but it's just one of those things where she's slowly, slowly coming out of her shell when it comes, in, comes down to giving her opinion on the hard topics right now. And, you know, unfortunately with the world we live in, like the kids really aren't even in school. So we have to really think outside the box when it comes to this stuff. But at the same time, like she still loves it. She still has that personality and our late, our relationship hasn't been better. It is open doors that I never thought was possible between her and I, when it comes down to just communication wise and spending time together and doing things together. It is, it's been an amazing journey for her and I. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, I've talked to a couple dads out there that started podcasts for kind of the same reasons, but just really hearing that, and every time I hear it, it, it almost seems like the same story, but in different outcomes. And I always love hearing those of just ways to just grow, grow yourself, grow them, the children, and help other people. I mean, we talked about in the beginning of you being a personal trainer and that 62-year-old woman who, you know, watched her grandchild, you know, you going out there for that year and a half and just helping her and growing her. And the same with Laura, you know, by helping her, you help more people down the line and you grow yourself as well, too. And I mean, like I said in the beginning, I've listened to the podcast. It's a great show. You know, it's not necessarily my niche, but what you guys are doing, hitting those uncomfortable topics, hitting those fun topics, hitting that stuff that you could talk about and have a good time, but you get something out of it at the end of it as a listener and as a father and a daughter, I think is a really, really well met key. It's really well meshed. You know, I think there's just a lot of people, especially at this age, that middle school age, when it comes to moms, dads, whoever that is, you know, you see, you have your kids and you just don't know how to communicate with them. And still to this day, Laura will, Hey, how you doing? Fine. What are you doing in your room? Just hanging out. Like she's not saying anything at all. And that's, there's, there's some people out there that they'll go years with that is as much communication as they have with their kids ever. Mm -hmm. And that you have to be able to break down some barriers in there with some uncomfortable questions and have those things. And I hope that at some time or another, you know, somebody hears that and, and takes some questions that we've talked about and start pointing those at their children at the same time, because that's where we just want to be able to benefit as many people as we possibly can with this. And if it's one, great, then we win. And that that's exactly it, right? It It's all about helping one person is going to help more people down the road. And I feel this myself. I've grown up my entire life. I've, I've wanted to help everybody at every time, but it wears you thin. It wears you down and it completely breaks you when you focus down and just helping open that bridge of communication that, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Oh, whatever. Just shut my door. And then you're out there. Well, I don't know what the hell's wrong with this kid. They're not talking to me. I, I didn't raise them this way. I, it's life. It happens. They're teenagers. They're going to have it. I do the same stuff with my wife all the time and I never shut up, but it's understanding that and finding those doors of opening the communication of opening those and helping one person down the line who, if you help one person, great, you did your job, you met your goal. If you help more, even better, but it's just going out there and just breaking those barriers one step at a time and one day at a time and not giving up and finding those unprecedented or outside the box thinking ways to really connect and grow and build because let's be honest we're not living in a very precedented time right now so th this is this is the primo time for all of us to really 
think outside the box and find creative ways to interact and build not only ourselves, but our families, our kids, our spouses, whomever. And so you asked about the, uh, the name then too, right? So it, yes. it's quite, it's quite funny because you have they, the beast mode kids. It all came down to uh, me trying to find a name for another name for person. And I did a lot of searching on different names and I found the, in urban dictionary, I found the word beast on there. And I liked the description of beast on there. And it was a, a person that is extremely talented at whatever they do and always displays great determination, dedication, and resilience to always win or want to win. And it was those three words that got me with that. And it was that determination, dedication, resilience. And as a kid growing up, especially in that middle school, high school range, you have to have that to be able to get through that, that part of your life. There's a lot of things inside of that world right there that's really, really hard and uncomfortable. And, and it only, it only it can get better after that, but that's the tough part. And I love being able to add that there. And I started going into just what could I do with Beast and the Beast mode came in. And literally, I mean, the kids was just kind of, it had slid together pretty easily after I, I found the word Beast that I wanted to use. I, I love it. It's such a unique name and the, the Urban Dictionary definition, right? Determination, dedication, and resilience. And you, you, you're you right. You need those three keys, especially in middle school, because yeah. they are some of the hardest times out there. Well, brutal time they, for all boys and girls. A hundred percent of the time. Every, every time. I, I don't know one, I, I don't know one kid that hasn't had issues or, you know, something like that. But I, I absolutely love the name. I love the podcast. You know, for anybody who out there who may be wanting to check out the podcast, where can they find you? Uh, you can find us on, on uh, all uh, platforms, everything from your iTunes to uh, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. It is uh, anywhere and everywhere. Awesome. And we're going to have some links for that in the description for you guys, too. So if you want to check out Beast Mode Kids, make sure to check that out. Great podcast. I promise you, you're going to get some kind of value out of it at the end of the day. They're a lot better than me and Ryan on the microphone. So I promise you, you're going to get a lot more value. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Pat, before we wrap all this up and finish up on the Fearless Fathers podcast today, in your own words, what does it mean for Pat Davey to be a fearless father? For me, it's being there for your kids, regardless if it's reading to them, listening to their stories, discipline, discipline them when, uh, when you don't want to, giving them hugs when they don't want you to give them and being involved in their life no matter what. Pay attention to what they're doing, no matter how stupid it is or how stupid you think it is, because it's important to them. You have to be there for them in all facets. And for me, I am willing to uh, to do anything and everything to be there for my children uh, day and night for the rest of their lives. And they know that wholeheartedly that, uh, that their dad is there for them. I love it. Be there for your kids. Watch those moments, grow those moments, because you're going to look back and you're going to wish you had those moments when they're growing up, they're gone, and they're out of the house. If you think it's stupid, I promise you, Pat promises you, it's not stupid to them. It's important to them. Take those moments. Capture those memories because they're going to be gone in an instant. We all know it as new dads, as expectant dads, and as the experienced, you know, the quote-unquote experienced dads out there. Those moments are gone in a blink of an eye. So just be there and do everything you can for your kids at the end of the day. Pat, brother, amigo, friend, cheesehead, whatever. I, I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. That has been absolutely fantastic. I've had a great time. I'm, I'm glad you had a good time, man. I had a great time. I hope our listeners had a great time today. I really, really, really hope you guys took something out of this podcast today. It's great to be back in the swing of things to doing these interviews again with dads just like us, just like me, just like Ryan, just like you listening to this today, going through the same battles that we're all going through, knowing we're not alone in this battle, and continuing to fight and put in our reps one step at a time, one day at a time. Be sure to just tell people about this show. Let them know. Tell us. You know, just, just get it out there. Get it out there to as many listeners as you can. Let them know if they need something out there. If something resonated with you today, use it. Throw the rest out. That's fine. You're not going to hurt me and Pat's feelings. You might hurt Ryan's feelings if he was here, but he's our little goblin. So I'm going to make fun of him as much more as I can since he's not around right now and he won't listen to this. But get it out there. Let's help break these stigmas of fatherhood. Let's demolish it. Let's make it something that's not even going to be relevant anymore. I'm reaching big, but I want to break that down. 
hit us up on fearlessfathers.net. You could check out past episodes there. You could check out our merch shop. We have some shirts, some hoodies right now since winter's kicking up. You could buy a mug. We're going to do some other ones coming up here as we're revamping some things and getting back into the swing of things. Just continue to go out there, guys, and just continue to be the best damn dad you know you can be. Your children are learning and growing every single day. Just because you're a dad does not mean you can't do the same. We are in this fight, and we are taking it, and we are breaking these stigmas one step at a time, one day at a time, and we're going to embrace the fear. Thanks for listening, guys.